Hi guys, thanks for listening to a special and exclusive edition of the Not The Top 20 podcast. NTT 20 pod meets Connor Rowden. Now, the reason we wanted to get Connor on is we're going to talk about a topic that I am hugely interested in. And I think most fans are in some way very interested in youth development, in the youth players at their club and in the pathways that they have uh, into the first team. I think it's a fascinating topic. Youth development, talented youngsters and of course, focusing today on the EFL and its role within that. We're so lucky in England to have a league system that we do and that outside of the top tier, there's so much talent to the extent that the second, third and fourth tiers of English football have a genuine impact and importance when it comes to the national team, which I think is something quite unique. But Connor's going to tell us more about it. Um, he's an expert on all things youth football across England um, and, and beyond, I should say. Um, so this podcast really just mining Connor for information more than anything. Um, I want to discuss the link between the Football League and the England team, current EFL talent in the England youth teams, and then try and get an idea of the varied and abundant young talent in the Championship League One and League Two. Finally, we will also talk uh, some wider issues, FIFA's new loan rules and what impact they might have on the English game. Uh, we'll also talk about the Checker Trade Trophy and B teams and all that sort of stuff. So hopefully you guys will enjoy this as much as I know uh, I will enjoy talking to Connor. Um, thank you very much for joining us, mate. This is a, a real pleasure. We've been trying to get you on for, uh, for a few months now. Yeah, delighted to be on. Thanks for having me on. This this focus on youth development, this expertise on youth development, I should say, really, um, and following youth football, the transition into the professional game, when did that start for you? Um, it's always been an interest of mine. I think uh, I'm a United fan, and I had MUTV in the house growing up. I had Eurosport, always was used to watch the uh, youth tournaments in the summer. And it's something I generally just fell into over the years and uh, obviously with the rise of Twitter just uh, more information available on the internet it's just something that's continued to uh, accrue. And you're Nottingham based I think is that right so uh, teams like Forest and County very much on your doorstep and both of them in, in different ways have had uh, uh, an interesting time with academies I suppose over the last decade as well so that's been a, I imagine uh, quite a good local talking point for you. Yeah, from Genas to Dawson and Morgan, all the way through to now, Forest have consistently brought players through. So it's been one that's hard to ignore, especially being a local lad with people I know in and out of the system, uh, both successfully and unsuccessfully. It's uh, something that's been absorbed through osmosis really <laughs> yeah we're definitely going to touch on on forest later on there are so many teams in the championship and beyond it should be said um, that are worth talking about in terms of their youth policy in terms of the players coming through or players that have come through so if you support a championship team and you think that youth development is a, an interesting topic then please do make sure that you, you get all the way through this because there's so much to get through but I want to start by talking about the link between the Football League and the England team. I think I'm right in saying, and Connor will correct me, I'm sure, that at the World Cup, we've mentioned it before, uh, 17 of the 23 players in the England squad had played some Football League football uh, when they were just early professionals, whether that was on loan from Premier League teams or in some cases uh, playing, uh, you know, organically, I suppose, for those clubs. So... Connor, the reason why you would follow 
the Football League so closely in terms of the youth development, I suppose, is because unlike many other countries, you kind of have to if you want to know who might end up playing for England one day. That It really seems like we have quite a fertile crop of land, if you will. Yeah, I think it's 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 an unavoidable reality, really. Uh, like you said, the um, 17 out of 23 in the World Cup squad. But I think even more interestingly is uh, last year's uh, under-19 Euro winners in the 2017 tournament. There's only Darnell Johnson at Leicester and Nathan Trott at West Ham, who, of the 18-man squad, haven't already played in the Football League. Wow. And considering they are... 20 at most now mm. it just shows that the pathway is the football league now so There's 16 the... of that team have played efl adult minutes yeah and uh, that's from championship down to league two what, what, what it, sort of who were the key players that uh, that we'll have you know that we'll have talked about on the podcast in that in that team is that dowell and that lot yeah it's them so it's well it's the it was it was a combined 1998 born and 1999 born team so you have the likes of Trev Shalabar, Jada Silva, Tyo Eden, Dijon Sterling, Rhys James, Ryan Sessegnon, uh, Dazel, Jacob Maddox, who's at Cheltenham this season, Mason Mount, Marcus Edwards, who had the short spell at Norwich last year, uh, Ben Brereton, Buckley Ricketts, who's at uh, Peterborough now, isn't Peterborough he? Peterborough this not, season, yeah. Not playing. I don't know if yeah. he's injured, but he's uh, yeah, not broken I'm, in. Not entirely sure what's going on there. Uh, Josh De Silva, the other one at Brentford, and then Lucas Nemetra at Preston. So you've got the two who haven't made it out of under-23 football yet, and every single other player has had to drop down into the... Well, they've had to go into the Football League. And I think that is just the natural pathway. Nowadays. I mean, you follow uh, youth football outside of England as well. You're always on top of... Um, you know, who who will be the England under-21s rivals, for example, in Italy at the Euros next next year and some of the Dutch and German youngsters you'll know very well. Do they have players in their unders teams, you know, in, in Germany from the from the Zweite Bundesliga or in, in Holland from the from the second tier there? You know, am I am I banging on too much about this? Um am I am I bigging up the EFL too much? No, I think it's I think it's completely valid. I think um France is a little bit different because their players seem to come from such a wide range of clubs and in such abundance that there a lot of them start off at smaller clubs and rise up through the academies. That's, that's always been the case with France. I think I was doing a lot of research on the 1998 World Cup winning team uh, over the summer and you've got you know Zidane coming through at, at Cannes um, and a lot of those guys came through at Nantes who were obviously you know these are top tier teams but they weren't necessarily the giants of the game at that stage very few of them came through you know Marseille's youth academy or, or yeah or, uh, so yeah that, that was obviously a, another feature of French football yes but I think England and France are probably the outliers in that regard I think uh, the in Holland, you have a lot of the talent plays in their second teams in the second tier uh, for a very short amount of time and then progresses quickly to the uh, top tier. But I think the idea of loaning talent out for development, uh, especially as far if you consider uh, you have England under-19s, England under-20s in the fourth tier in England, I think that is pretty unheard of. 
as a loan as opposed to being in a B team or any type of second team around the continent. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Elliot Embleton uh, is part of the under-20 squad, I think that's right. And he's on loan at Grimsby from Sunderland. We've bigged him up a few times. And he's an interesting one because when you watch these England youth teams, they are so absurdly technical. I mean, the level that they play football at is incredible. And of course, you're always sort of told that you know, being chucked in at the deep end, League Two football, League One football, uh, the, the perception is that it's very physical, that you have these grizzled old pros that'll just kick you up in the air. Um, and that the, the sort of extra f- factor, which is these games matter more. These guys are playing for, for you know, to, to feed their families. These, this is more of a job or more important than uh, your under 23s, your academy football. It, you know, you, you've been following Embleton. He's quite a slight player, isn't he? He's quite skinny. But it yeah. seems that he's adapted quite quickly. Um, but along with some of the other players like Dujon Sterling, is there a? do you think that it is true that it takes a bit of time to adapt? It, it, obviously, Mount started the season very well, but it feels like it does take a bit of time to adapt, but a bit of patience can go a long way. Yeah, um, I think initially I was sceptical about some of these League Two loans because I wondered... Uh, would it really be a a big enough step up for them? But I think, actually, sometimes it might not be too bad for some of these lads to drop down to League Two, where their technical advantage can negate a bit of their physical disadvantage, as opposed to some of the lads that head straight into the championship and they have to completely adapt their game. It's, It's not like the championship doesn't have incredible athletes. Well, it has better athletes in the championship, to be honest. So I think it can actually be a better loan for smaller technical players, even though that contradicts everything you'd probably presume. Before we get into some of the current England youth teams and EFL representation in them, um, young fullbacks seem to be a thing this year. Um, when we've been talking, as we do every Monday, about um, about the football across the EFL, when we you know we try and fly the flag for 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 the youngsters and for especially players that are coming through uh, EFL academies, not just the 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 bigger name loanees, but. I mean, young English or British fullbacks seem to be very much a thing, whether it's Max Ahrens and Jamal Lewis uh, or uh, Jaden Bogle, for example, even Josh Earl at Preston. You know, the fullback role has probably changed more than any over the last uh, few years. It seems to be really suited now to, to a younger player. Yeah, and also I think there is a massive talent coming through in them positions. Um You've got Reese James as well, um, and you've got like other players still at the Premier League academies, as long as well as the likes of Trent Arnold, who's already progressed to the senior squad. But I think some positions we still struggle to get players through in the pathways. Which ones uh, particularly? Well, I think if you can put contrast central midfield to fullback, I think we find it a lot easier to fit fullbacks in and get them game time early mm. whereas in central midfield either our best prospects just don't fit in a team or they never get a chance or they get played out of position in wider roles or more advanced positions so I think that has an impact as we can initially get the fullbacks in there 
and get them that game time. And it seems managers are a bit less risk averse about putting them in there early. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think of young centre backs who are starting for for EFL teams, and I can't think of too many really. There's uh, Edmondson down in League Two with Oldham, um, but in terms of you know sub 21, sub 22. British centre-backs playing in the EFL, that, that strikes me as another position like central midfield where I guess, as you say, it's a, it's a risk thing, isn't it? The, the, yeah. the potential for errors to be made due to inexperience or naivety or whatever it is, um, it feels like that's you know, more, of, more, of a, more important um, in those positions. So that's, that's interesting. Um, mm. Let's start with, in the youth teams with the under-21s. Uh, obviously, the, <clears throat> the next step from there in theory is up into the England squad and under Gareth Southgate, who who was under twenty one manager, that pathway is is very much clear, which is which is very encouraging. Um, and in the England under twenty one squad at the moment, uh, there is again uh, a fair amount of EFL representation or uh, recent EFL representation. So the likes of um, Dean Henderson, of course, uh, in goal. Jada Silver on loan from Chelsea at Bristol City, Dale Fry at Middlesbrough, Esri Konza at Brentford, Tamori, who's at Derby, uh, of course, on loan from Chelsea, Harvey Barnes at West Brom and Josh Onoma, both of those on loan from uh, Premier League teams, and Tammy Abraham, of course, as well. So uh, a lot of EFL representation there. Um, wanted to ask about Dale Fry uh, and what you think about him. He's obviously, to my eyes, a centre-back, been played at right back now under under Tony Pulis. Um, is that kind of what we've just spoken about? Someone not really being trusted to play in their true position, but they understand the need for, for someone like Fry to be playing football. Do, do you rate Fry? Is he someone that could have a, a big future? I am a fan. And Middlesbrough has seemed to have a bit of a tradition of bringing through centre-halves because they've got Gibson and then... We've got Nathan Gordon coming through, who's a, I think he's only 16, but he's made his debut in the League Cup earlier in the season. So they've been quite successful um, for the size of their club uh, in how much they produce. And I think with when you have players like uh, Ayala and uh, Aidan Flint and then Gibson before him, I think it is tough for someone like Fry to establish himself. But um, yeah, I think he's a good player, uh, technically very solid, very tall. I think he'll continue to fill out. And yeah, I think he's got a good future. And that 1997-born crop of defenders, if you look at it, you've got Konza, Tamori, uh, Clark Salter, who wasn't so successful last season, but is doing well out in Holland this year. Um, you've even got someone like Chris Meppham, who even though he's playing for Wales. He's come through the uh, English system. So this year, there seems to be a bit of a rise to prominence of a few of them. Uh, they're just aging out of youth football now as they'll age out of under-21 football this summer. But it seems like there's been a bit of a breakthrough for a lot of them after a, a few mixed years where they've not got a lot of football. So I think that's promising to see and it'll be interesting in five years, which one of that group has established themselves in the England squad or in one of the top sides in the Premier League? Yeah, absolutely. I, I realised that when I was talking about centre-backs playing in the first team in the EFL, um, Konza and Mepham should have been 
the first thought, both of them very much established at the heart of that Brentford defence. Um, that is very rare, isn't it, to have such a young centre-back pairing. And in recent weeks, um, we're recording in early December here, uh, Bees have, have had a tough time and the spotlight's been shone a little on Konza and Mepham. Um, what do you think about Konza? Because he's come through at Charlton, of course, which is such a, um, a rich breeding ground for talent. And even in League One last year, he just he's one of those players who, despite playing at the back, looks like he could play almost any position, technically very, very good. Um, do you think... How, how do you decide when you look at someone like Konza, you know, apart from being... This looks like a clearly talented player. Um, how do you sort of work out what you consider to be his top level? And, and what do you think in terms of Konza and Mepham as well? Where do you think that they might end up? Well, Konza is interesting because he's... This, both him and Joe Gomez are 1997s. So they came through together. And Joe Gomez, since he was 16, playing for the under-17s, he was a no-brainer, really, that he would go to the very top. So I think Konza was slightly in his shadow for a long time. And then you had Luckman was at Charlton with him as well. Casey Palmer was at Charlton with him. Um, and then the likes of Grant and Aribo. Um, so that's always been a really talented group. And I think Konza's kind of been in the background a little bit until this season, where even last season at Charlton, I think he was switching positions a little bit. He was he's had times with England where he's gone to tournaments and basically sat on the bench for the whole tournament. So, but he's risen to prominence. Probably surprised me a little bit this season with how well he's done. But I think if you look at him, tall, good on the ball, uh, athletic, uh, smart, like. And when he does play for England, sometimes players that have been around the squad for a while never quite broke through. They'll play a few games and you'll realise why they've been in the shadows, why they're not quite on that same level as some of their peers. But when he does play for England, the back, the I think the five centre-halves they've got are pretty interchangeable at the minute and there's not a lot of drop-off with any of them. So I think it's hard to project forward but he's in a good place for now at his age definitely yeah absolutely down in the under 20s we've got the likes of will huffer of leeds of course made his debut um in the absence of peacock farrell and blackman uh, uh, at the end of november and, and kept a clean sheet uh, tom edwards of stoke who hopefully will be establishing himself in that team he's one of those players for whom i think a relegation could be a very, very good thing, a bit like someone we'll touch on later in Josh Madger. Um, uh, Reese James, uh, Wiggins, player of the month, three week, uh, three months in a row on loan from Chelsea. Lloyd Kelly of Bristol City um, and Issa Suleiman uh, of Villa. Tell me about Suleiman. Um, Villa is not someone we've seen play in the first team very much. What sort of player is he and, and what's you know what's his pathway been? I, I, I can't say I've seen him play in claret and blue no he um he captained the under 19s that won the euros in 2017 and he's unfortunately he's a bit of a tweener so he's not the biggest not the quickest solid enough technically but i'm not sure how that transition to senior football as a center half especially in england will go for him he had his he was on loan at, I think it was Cheltenham, 
and then Grimsby last season. And he's out in Holland this season playing for the second team of, I think it's Emmen in the Eredivisie, but he sits on the bench every week. So I'm not entirely sure what his progression is going to look like. There's loads of, of interesting players in this under-20 team, so we'll stay, we'll stay here for the moment. Um, I could just pick your brains on all of these guys all day. Um, Trevor Chalobah, uh, obviously on loan from Chelsea um, at Ipswich this season, and on the list uh, of the England under-20 squad, he's down as a defender, uh, very much playing in midfield when he's played for Ipswich this season. I don't know... If he's either, is that like you've been following Chalabay? He's had a storied youth career with Chelsea, of course. Where do you see his best position and what have you made of his time at Ipswich so far? Um, I think he's definitely a centre half. Um, I think the amount of young players Ipswich have in that midfield, and because Chalabay is so young, I think he's another one of like we were talking about earlier. He's pushed into midfield for his physicality because he is big and athletic, which that's a downside of these loans because for Ipswich, that is the right... I think that's probably the right decision. His big brother, Nate, had similar problems where he went on loan to Watford and had that successful season at Watford as an 18-year-old. He was... I I don't want to say stuck, but he was uh, a midfielder from there on out. And I think... He doesn't quite have it to play as a midfielder at the very, very top level. Whereas if you look at the profile of the best uh, defenders nowadays, his ability on the ball combined with everything else about his game, you wonder what would have happened had uh, Nate, obviously the injuries have had a big impact, but had Nate played as a centre-half for all this time, you wonder whether his ceiling would have been higher. And I think uh, that's that's a problem that we have with the pathway and the development as well is uh, like Lloyd Kelly. I really like Lloyd Kelly. I'd not, I hadn't heard much about him until last season, and he played in the under one an under twenty game, and he's just such a smooth athlete and just left footed, which helps for a centre half. And I worry that he'll be played at left back a bit and be pigeonholed as a left back, which I think. He can be a good left-back, but I don't think he can be a great left-back, whereas I think in the centre of defence, I think he can be a great centre-half. So it sort of comes back to this issue, I suppose. The more that we talk about it, the more I believe it, it probably is in terms of the development of these players that for, as you say, very, very understandable reasons like Ipswich and their current situation, it's very hard and it would be incredibly brave for managers who have many other uh, things to think about to, to put uh, such a young player at centre-back, a position where, as, as we mentioned earlier, mistakes are, uh, appear to be more costly, or at least that's the perception. Um, <clears throat> in terms of, of Kelly and Chalabert, some of, some of the central defensive players that we've spoken about so far, I'm interested to, to know um, the, the overriding theme of these youngsters, no matter what position they play in, but certainly the defenders compared to the, you know those 10 years older than them is the technical ability and the fact that these guys are all so good on the ball. Many of them fantastic athletes as well, um, strong and quick. And that, that seems like a brilliant, brilliant thing. But when you 
you know, when you strip back defending and large parts of defending, when, you know, when your team's out of possession, it's not necessarily um, what you do with your strength and what you do, obviously, your ball-playing ability um, takes a back seat. So are these guys also exceptional defenders? Do you think sometimes we're so blown away by how good they are on the ball that maybe you can be blinded a bit to, to I don't know, uh, some deficiencies in terms of the, the pure art of defending? Yeah, and I think that will their careers will be defined by where they end up because if you look at someone like John Stones as the example, he even though he's clearly improved as a defender over the years, he has a lot more room to show what his skill set really is at Man City than at Everton. And so I think the next step for a lot of these players is when they're in good championship teams, it probably allows them to show off their skill set more and with the England under-21s, England underage teams. But if they go to a lower uh, a side in the Premier League that's lower down the table, I think it's easy for them to get exposed early, they lose the trust, and then maybe the next season they're back in the championship on loan. It's... It's very cutthroat, and until someone decides to really put their individual development first, there's a lot of uh, red flags in there for them going forward, so it's quite hard to predict. Yeah, definitely. M- moving into midfield for the under-20s, which, uh, just looking at it, seems like the most football league of the uh, of the England squads at the moment. There's some interesting midfield uh, players in here, including Ronaldo Vieira, who came through at Leeds, is now playing out in Sampdoria. Uh, how's that move gone for him? I remember not really being able to work Vieira out uh, completely myself in terms of exactly what sort of a, of a midfield player he was in that Leeds side. Um, how's things going for him out in Italy? Yeah, I've I've been slightly underwhelmed by what I've seen from him so far. He uh, played in the last two Toulon tournaments with the under-20s. And yeah, like you said, it's hard to really uh, decide what, is, what he really excels at. Um, in Italy with Sampdoria, I know he started their last two games, I believe. One was a heavy defeat to Roma and they won at the weekend. So I, I haven't seen anything of it. I know he was on the bench majority of games before that, but he's nine or is he twenty. Getting some minutes in Syria is it's not the worst progression for him. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think he's doing all right. Yeah, fair enough. Um, also, some midfield players that uh, play or fans of the teams they play for will know all about, but many uh, fans of other EFL clubs might not know so much about because. They, for various reasons, haven't got as much game time as uh, as we might have hoped for. Andre Dazelle uh, is a really interesting one, isn't, uh, one isn't he, at Ipswich? Um, tell us about him. He obviously comes from from a footballing family, and um, it, it just strikes me that, I mean, I, I was going through your the last few months of your tweets, uh, doing my research before before this pod, and he's someone that you've spoken about quite a lot. So I imagine you rate him um, pretty highly, but he hasn't quite. Um, got a run of games yet has he yeah he's he's really classy and uh, he has been since I, I remember the first, I think the first time I saw him was just before when he was an under 17 just before the Euros and then he went to the Euros a team with the likes of Reese Nelson Mason Mount 
and he was as good as anyone. Um, he's very slight, uh, and I think the attrition rate for English footballers is quite high because of the physical demands. And someone like him, you wonder whether what pressure his body is under to become a championship player at this age and you wonder how that will affect him going forward and after his knee injury last year you wonder how he'll recover and whether he maybe would have been better off just going playing in league two for six months to get back up to speed the start of this season because I know Paul Hurst spoke quite highly of him but also about it would be a slow process to get him back but yeah he's really classy number 10 um was another member of that under-19 Euros winners, winning side. Just just really classy, great feet, uh, slaps the ball around, lovely. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does, although this season hasn't quite gone to plan. And as Ipswich stay at the bottom of the league, I'm not sure where his yeah. window of opportunity is going to come in the near future. Yeah, really tough, that. Uh, two West Brom players in this uh, under-20 squad, neither of whom we've seen much of. I'm really intrigued by Sam Field. Um, they haven't quite found a place for him yet uh, this season, but Field, from what I've seen, um, and hopefully you can fill in the blanks, is a is a lefty um, who seems to be, you know, if, if you're talking about uh the, the bodies um, of these young players, something that's often talked about in the NBA, which I, I believe you follow, which I do as well. And I think um, that sort of, um, that sort of uh, analysis is interesting when it comes to, to youth team footballers as well. But Field looks, you know, he's well built. He's got he's tall, um, lefty, central midfielder, defensive midfielder or, or centre back. What, what do you think? It, it strikes me that he's, he's got a bit of everything, but he hasn't quite, again, uh, got the opportunities yet this season. Yeah, the interesting thing about Field is that when West Brom were in the Premier League, and I believe I think it was last season, before they brought in Krakowiak and on deadline day, he started the first couple of their games, hmm. and then he had another spell in the team around Christmas time, I think, and I think he played in. I may be wrong, but he definitely played in two of their, I think, three victories they had up to that point in midfield but then did not get a look, in, a look in at all. And he's another one who they've gone down, they've got a big squad, slightly pushed to the margins, and you wonder, it's an important period for him now. Next season will be important for him especially because he, if West Brom go up, will he sit on the bench as a squad player, maybe not even on the bench, or will they make sure they get him out on loan? Because in the long term, his development could be great for them, um, not having to spend money on another player. Uh, he, he, got a couple, get... he got some minutes on the left of a, of a back three when West Brom were playing back three earlier in the season. That struck me as something that, that could suit him quite well, but I don't know if he's uh, purely, you know, if, maybe if he's not quite defensive-minded enough for that. Well, I'd, to my recollection, I don't think he's played much in defence before. Yeah. And you never know, he could be converted and do great there. Mm. But I think that might be more just trying to get him in in some position. Because it looks like uh, they've got another midfielder called Rakeem Harper. Mm -hmm. Looks like he's uh, leapfrogged over him in their pecking order. And he's two years younger than Field. So I think that probably suggests that he might need to look for a loan, especially in January, 
and then wherever he is next season, he just needs a full year of football. Mm. Uh, we've spoken about Elliot Embleton. We've seen a, a bit more of Marcus Tavernier of Middlesbrough in recent weeks, which is uh, which has been good to see, and he's been you know, having a positive impact on the team and giving them something different, which I think everyone uh, is aware Middlesbrough are in need of going forward. The, the younger brother of James Tavernier, who's who's obviously Rangers right back. Um, Kyle Edwards of West Brom, tricky winger. I think we saw him on loan, didn't we, last season at Exeter? Um, another player that's not quite getting uh, the opportunities at the moment in this West Brom team. Uh, so just two more to touch on in the under-20s. Uh, George Hurst is a really interesting one. He's not an EFL player. He plays for OH Leuven, of course, under Nigel Pearson. Can you explain, you know, why Hurst was such a big story? Why what happened was such a big thing? And uh, yeah, basically just try and explain that situation because I'm still a little bit in the dark about it. Yeah, there's a, a, a new worrying trend in English football where clubs can afford to effectively sit players out if they don't sign a new contract. So it's happened to Solanke, Hurst, um, as a young player called Bobby Duncan, who was at Man City, who's just joined Liverpool. He gets quite a few headlines because he's uh, Steven Gerrard's cousin. But So if they don't sign a new deal, they just completely bench them. But it's a vicious circle because the player says I want guarantees of football the club says we won't guarantee you football until you sign the new deal and then it just ends up with the player being sat out for a year oh it's Leuven owned by uh, Leicester so the compensation for him to move abroad is a lot uh, less than if he'd gone straight to Leicester I can't imagine his plan was to go play in the Belgian second tier for long mm. um, especially they've had a bad season so seems inevitable he'll be back in England with Leicester and then probably out on loan somewhere That's uh, and a, I mean a prodigious goal scorer at youth level yeah he's he's really big <laughs> like re- re- really tall and he has been for a long time he the Toulon where David Brooks was the player of the tournament he was the starting striker for them. Um, he at times he reminds me a bit of someone like Connor Wickham, who at youth level he scores a lot of goals. He finds it easy, but he's not quite worked out how to leverage his size and he's he's quick as well for someone that tall uh, into senior football. And he's a little bit rough around the edges, but I think he'll have a good career. Um, six foot three or so I think you can't um really put a cap on how a striker like that will develop I think sometimes they develop early in the youth system then have struggles initially in in senior football but then come through strongly after that so he wouldn't be one of those that I'd particularly highlight but I think he's got a lot to like about him mm. a lot to like about him. and lastly for the under 20s a very easy uh, qpr's jewel in the in the crown at the moment number 10 from your point of view someone who's followed uh who will have followed a lot of these guys from a really really young age did easy come onto your radar a little bit later of course it was only i think two years ago that he was released by millwall um and in that case if you're following you know if you if you just look at the the Wikipedia page of a player at that, at that age, you see they've been released by Millwall, picked up by QPR. 
might not necessarily be on your radar, but I mean, what an unbelievable year he's had. What, what do you think about Easy? I think one of, I think one of the great benefits of the under twenties, they really started taking this age seriously. Aside from the under twenty World Cup years ago, so they have increased fixtures, and it just allows a platform to a lot more players. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see a lot more um, football league exposure in these age groups, because mm. the likes of Lloyd Kelly, Eze, they'd have missed the under nineteens and probably not quite made the under-21s. And before you know it, their eligibility is gone. So this is a really good way to see them. I think Ize was at Arsenal and Fulham before that. So it just shows how not only is the talent flowing upwards towards the top sides, and you could argue they're, they are hoarding a bit of the talent, uh, but when you look at the likes of Brooks from Man City down to Sheffield United and then Sheffield United cashing on him, Mepham from Chelsea to Brentford, I think it worth, works both ways. And I think as a he probably would have struggled to make any type of breakthrough and but still being at Arsenal or um, Fulham, but dropping down to Millwall then... Uh, the sideways move to QPR has really benefited him and he's got first team football and a lot of it earlier than any of his peers have. He must have just, um, I mean, I'm, I don't know what his level was before he went on that loan to Wickham um, last season, but his his improvement just to my eyes in that time has been absolutely incredible. How does he look when he's playing a, a, a around these under 20 peers? Does he is he sort of um, less effective or does he look even better because he's he's probably had a bit more first-team experience than anyone else at this stage? Um, well, there's a lot of churn in that age group, so it's hard to really pinpoint uh, how well people are doing because they play two games, a lot of rotation. Mm. But I think he's settled in well and I think he'll be straight up into the under-21 squad next September. So I think he's on a really good pathway. And it reminds me a bit more of someone like James Madison, who he was not in the England squads, up, uh, aside from I think he was in one under-19 squad, wow. until he was called up to the under-21s last season. And I think it just shows that the pathway, is not the progression isn't always linear. There's he, no one he, way to do it. Yeah, and I think sometimes in the early age groups, the players that get in early have a bit more sticking power and a little bit more leeway than some of the outs- uh, outsiders. So I think uh, Madison is probably a pathway that Eze could follow. Nice. Um, in, in the under-19s, there's fewer EFL representation. Max Ahrens of Norwich City. I think you know we've already touched on him, but I want to talk about Norwich uh, as a club in general um, in, in a little while. So we'll... We'll focus in terms of the under-19s on two uh, two forward players. Um, you've already mentioned Raheem Harper, uh, the midfielder of West Brom, who looks like a real talent. So Danny Loder at Reading, who's made his debut in the last few weeks and is someone that comes with serious amounts of hype. Um, and Stephen Walker of Middlesbrough, who, who I have to say I don't know a lot about. So run me through those two. Loder especially seems to, to there seems to be a lot of buzz around him. Yeah, Loder's very sharp. He was always... Uh, Brewster was the main forward for the successful England under-17s team, but Loder was pushing him all the way, and he was the alternate. 
and he's really good when you get, when he gets the ball at his feet in the box. He's really sharp, quick changes of direction, can get shots off with both feet. Um, but he can also play, if pushed to, in a slightly withdrawn role. And to be honest, Stephen Walker is a little bit similar, although probably the flip side of that, where he he's plays a lot of his football slightly withdrawn, but um, can also play as the lone forward. I'm not sure how Walker would progress into senior football as the lone forward, but he's really effective when surrounded by the likes of Smith Rowe, Hudson Odoi, like the real elite talent of Europe, they both look completely at ease and as if that's their level. So I think that's the exciting thing about English football is that the players are not being produced by a handful of clubs. It's throughout the pyramid and they all look comfortable on the pitch with each other. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, in the under... 18s, I think we're at now. This is the last of the unders that we'll touch on. There's a couple of interesting ones in here, though. Obviously, this is getting to a point where, you know, things are much less sure. These are very, very young people. So um, anything can happen in the next few years. It's, it's the type of players that um, certainly at the top clubs and, and the under 18s is mostly, you know, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, Man City, Tottenham a bit of Everton as well, but we've got a couple of interesting EFL options and these might be the kind of guys who, out of this squad, do get game time in the in the next few years. So, um, Daniel Adshead, is it Adshead or Adshed? I never know how you say it. I'd, I, I'm not sure myself. <laughs> I, I've I've been going with Adshed, but okay, I have that's no what idea we'll do. if that's I'll, correct. I wonder so. if even he knows. Um, Dan- yeah. <laughs> Go on. Uh, Daniel Adshed is, is, is Rochdale. So, this is uh, one of the most... Exciting ones for me because even some of the championship clubs, it shouldn't be a surprise that that they are churning out good players because these are um, academies with a history of doing so. Rochdale, perhaps less so. What do we like about Daniel Adshed? Well, he's a like a stereotypical technical midfield player, and what's interesting about him is the under 18s had three games in the November window, and that was his first call up at any level, and. He started the first and the third, which is typically, if they're playing three games in a week, they'll play the uh, rotation team in the second game. So he obviously made a big impression, scored on his debut. So it's good to see. Uh, the interesting thing about Rochdale is they they lost to QPR in the FA Youth Cup last night in the third round in extra time. But for a club the size of Rochdale, their representation in the like the Premier League Floodlit Cup or the like under fifteen junior tournament, it outweighs where you'd probably predict they'd be based on their position yeah. in the football pyramid. So there's something going right there. Um clubs often have these spells. It's hard to pinpoint if it's individual players, individual coaches. But whatever's happening at Rochdale at the minute is going well. So they should be optimistic about a few players probably coming through in the next few years, which for a club like that can make all the difference. Yeah, Adshed, so the sort of player who we might see, based on what you said earlier, possibly make his first steps into the game, maybe slightly out of position, maybe pushed out wide or, or as a number 10, if, if that's something that they do. Is that something that you see happening? Or do you think that he could... I mean, he's so young, isn't he? Presumably 
would struggle to to truly hold his own in a in a you know your average League One game against a team like Wickham, for example, at this stage. Yeah, he could be. Or I think he's signed a new deal recently, so I think Rochdale may just because they own him, they may favour his individual development. So I can't see him starting every week, but I think he's in a great place at a club that wants the best for him in the long term. And obviously, the better he does, the better they'll eventually do if they sell him. So I think he's in a perfect place. And it's players like that, Deli Ali when he was at uh, MK Dons, when a player isn't on loan and their parent club invests time in their development, faith in them, it makes all the difference. That's that's brilliant. And um, Barley Mumba of uh, of Sunderland, he hit the headlines at the end of last season when he got uh, a bit of first team action after Sunderland had been relegated. I think he wore the captain's armband at one point, aged 16 or whatever it was. And had his GCSEs in the summer and was at that time um, a, a, a sort of beacon of hope, I suppose, for Sunderland fans who really needed one. Not been involved hugely with the first team this season. T- tell us about Barley Mumba, what sort of player he is. And, you know, uh, he's obviously in the England under 18. So clearly at that age group, uh, someone that uh, the England setup are taking very seriously. Yeah, he's more of your classic defensive-minded midfielder, although he's he's not. It's not like he's technically weak or anything. It's just that's more of just his role, which is slightly rare, to be honest. There's not, probably not, we don't probably produce enough players more comfortable playing at the bottom of a three as opposed to the top or in front of a two. So it's good to see. I think, again, there's a lot of luck in players coming through, and I think, Sunderland's relegation, well, double relegation, could be uh, the perfect thing for him. If they'd have maintained as a Premier League club, he would be probably nowhere near the first team now, out on loan. So I think, and in the long term, that benefits Sunderland as a club, I think. A more sustainable first team. Um, They do very well, Sunderland, uh, them and Middlesbrough, compared to Newcastle in the northeast with their recruitment of talent and their development of talent so i think with embleton coming back from his loan uh, and mumba i think they're a different level to the likes of gooch or honeyman and i think in the long term if they put faith in their development they should be in a good place yeah brilliant um we've got a uh, Derby player in the squad, Morgan Whitaker. I want to touch on Derby more generally later on. I believe that they've got um, an age group which is looking seriously exciting. Um, and then there's Arvin Appiah or Arvin Appiah. How do you say that? Uh, I go with Appiah. Okay, and he is local to you, uh, Nottingham Forest youngster. He's had a bit of game time this season. Um, again, uh, not to appear too stalkerish, but having gone back through your tweets, he appears to be someone that you are really, really excited about. Yeah, he um, he started uh, pretty much every game in the Euros in the summer, the under-17 Euros. And he plays on the right wing, left-footed, cuts in, typical, good on the ball, good at dribbling, quick, uh, can shoot from outside the area. Uh, just very comfortable player. And I think... Had this been last season, I think 
uh, after Christmas, he'd have seen a lot more game time. Uh, he's he's slightly uh, in the grey area between the under-23s and the first team. I know he's regularly training with the Forest first team. So again, like Forest should be excited about him. Uh, it kind of just depends on what their club philosophy is at the minute, which I think, fair to say, is a little bit up in the air. Yeah. Not not known, Mr. Karanka, for, uh, you know, spending the time on uh, on young players and prioritising their development, which is absolutely his right, I should say. Uh, in, yeah, the, in, yeah. That, in that sense, is that is, is, is Apaya someone you'd like to see head out on loan at the second half of the season? He's obviously very young, so it, it doesn't seem... Well, I don't know, I was going to say it doesn't seem like there's a massive rush, but maybe if he's projecting so well, um, maybe there is a rush because you could you could really get him to take a, a further leap if he could go out on loan. And in which case, would you be, just your personal view, would, would you be looking to a League One, League Two club? Or I know that quite often uh, English or British players are going abroad now. So the the Aerie Divisi or the Airsty Divisi below it seem to be quite a popular league. Is that to do with with the style, do you think, what we were speaking about earlier, physicality? What, what do you think about um, about Apaya? Um, well, it's a shame, really, because uh, Forrest loaned Ryan Yates and George Grant to Notts County last season, and it seemed like that would be the development of a productive uh, relationship for both parties. But that fell apart in January, and it doesn't look like that's an option now. And I think that's the perfect, that would be the perfect type of loan for him. But as things stand, I think he's fine at Forest for this season. Um, I think they just need to make sure he's still playing under 23 football. Because sometimes when players are promoted to train with the first team, travel with the first team, uh, that's okay for a little while. But it soon turns into six months of them barely playing any football at any level, mm. which is where I think it's sometimes the players sometimes get a little bit lost. But I think he's fine at Forest for now. Uh, I don't think he desperately needs to go out this season. Like you said, he's still only uh, 17, turning 18. So I think he's fine where he is for now. Good. Well, someone that we're, we're really excited about. And uh, I say that the under-18s is going to be our last port of call when it comes to the England setup, but that's not actually true. Um kind of the England C team, which is, of course, the England's representatives from non-league football. Uh, obviously outside of the EFL, so we're having to make a bit of an exception here. But it is relevant to the EFL because quite often, uh, as you're going to tell us, there are England C players who are ripe for for an EFL move. And um, one that we saw happen in the summer, uh, moving to Shrewsbury was Fajiri Okanabire, who has had a, a fantastic uh, month of November, truly settled down at Shrewsbury now. Um, is, is he the, you know, it strikes me that that could be quite a, a rich, well, I've said that already, but it could be, you know, rich pickings in the England C team for uh, for some EFL clubs. Yeah, I think traditionally, the because uh, the England C team, they have, uh, it's not a hard cap, but they traditionally pick under 23 players. So they're often players that have just dropped down and are ready to rise back up. So, I mean, you've got the likes of Sam Klukas, Andre Gray, Aidan Flint, uh, Matty Pearson, uh, Lewis Malt, Joe Lolly, Luke Berry. So traditionally, the squads from the England C team, you have 
five, six players that make it to good League One players at least. So it is often uh, ripe for scouting. And I think one of the things with so much football, so many leagues, so many teams, is that the England C team gets give scouts a chance to go watch players among their peers. And I think that's where you really uh, get a bit of nuance about these players rather than just everyone blending into one. And what like what teams do the England C team play against? Uh, often it's smaller European countries. They're under-21s or they're under-23s. Okay, nice. I think Slovenia was a recent game they had. Um, so, but fixtures are limited. There's no um, set schedule. There's no tournaments as of yet. Although, as the international tournaments continue to increase, um, but I think it is—it's just testament to the depth of English football that there are enough players that low down that you can identify to put solid teams out that could compete with the underage teams of other countries. Yeah, certainly Shrewsbury making the most of, of the England C crop, uh, Okunabire fitting in very, very nicely. That's actually going to be it for this. It's going to be a part one. When I sat down with Connor, I thought we could cram it all into 50 minutes, into one hour. But in reality, we ended up talking for two hours about youth development and some of the big topics of the game. So in this part, you've heard about the England youth teams and the EFL talent among them. Well, the next part, we get a bit more serious and we continue to shine a light on some of the teams doing youth development right, some of the teams doing youth development differently, like Brentford, for example, and the merits of shutting down one's academy or otherwise. And we also talk about some of the larger uh, questions that surround the game and surround youth development right now, such as FIFA's proposed changes to the loan rules and the loan system, uh, the checker trade trophy and the impact it's had on youth development, the potential for B teams to enter our uh, league structure uh, and much, much more. If you've enjoyed part one, if you've enjoyed listening to Connor's expert knowledge of youth development, then you'll love part two, more of the same. Please go and find it wherever you found this podcast. And if you've enjoyed this one, it would be brilliant if you could share it. These exclusives are done, obviously, in our spare time on top of two pods a week um, that we normally do for Not The Top 20. So uh, any shares are just as appreciated as normal, possibly a tiny bit more. So thank you very much for listening uh, and get yourself ready for part two. (laughs) 